as we pause to think about this passage, let's ask for God's help in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's living, it's active, it's powerful, it cuts us to the heart. May you wield it expertly by your spirit to touch, challenge and change us to be like you and live for you. Speak, Lord, we pray. Through Christ, the living word, we ask. Amen. I'm not a big tennis fan, but if you asked my opinion, I would say that Bjorn Borg was the greatest tennis player I've ever seen. And I based that decision on the 1979 men's final at Wimbledon, when Borg successfully defended his title, beating Roscoe Tanner over five sets. 6-7, 6-1, Borg was a baseline player who excelled on clay courts. Tanner's game was made for grass with his serve, the fastest in the world at that time, his main weapon. Thus, centre court was the ideal venue for him. And what amazed me about that final was that Borg changed his game plan and he began to serve and volley. Indeed, at one point, it was Borg and not Tanner who was serving all the aces in the game. In the portion of the book of Galatians that Arlene read for us, we find Paul going head to head with the Judaizers, these false teachers who had been leading astray the young churches in the region of Galatia. And, and Paul does this by taking them on at their own game, by, as it were, going on to their home turf, their home ground, as he makes multiple references to the Old Testament. Your Bible may have little footnotes showing you how many times Paul refers to the books of Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Habakkuk in this short passage. These Judaizers had been demanding that all new believers, irrespective of their background, should submit to circumcision and to keeping of the law. So Paul, to refute their teaching, bases his argument on the most Jewish of Jews, Abraham, the father of their nation. And as he does so, in a sense, he places before his readers two roads, two exclusive options. The narrow road that leads to blessing and eternal life that is found living by faith. And the broad road that leads to cursing and death that is found living by the law. And Paul highlights the two great gifts of grace pursued by all who journey on either of these roads, but only attained by those on the narrow road those who live by faith. The two gifts are righteousness and redemption. So let's think first about righteousness. Verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now you need to understand that, that righteousness is not a lifestyle but a verdict. It is a legal standing before God. There is divine bookkeeping taking place here. Paul explains that for those who believe, those who have faith in the promises of God, all the righteousness of Christ is credited into their account. It's not a wage paid for work done, but a gift of grace 
completely and utterly undeserved. And we've been thinking a great deal about this idea in these studies in Galatia. Hopefully it is familiar to you. And Paul's argument here in these verses is this. Abraham received this blessing, this gift of righteousness, before he or his family were circumcised and before he or his descendants had received the law of God. It would only come centuries later indeed, some 430 years later to be precise. So horror of horror to the Judaizers. When Abraham believed, when Abraham was declared righteous and blessed to be a blessing, he was an uncircumcised, lawless Gentile. He was as much a Gentile as the Galatians 2,000 years ago or as people imported down today. There was nothing in his past that he had done to deserve this gift. In his conduct, he was indeed a very unrighteous man. But this sinner was counted as righteous in the only way that anyone can ever be because of his faith. So what did he believe? In what did he place his faith? He believed in God. Specifically, he believed the most improbable of promises. He believed that he, a very old man with a very old wife, would together with her conceive a child to be his heir. It was not that this promise was in any way believable, but Abraham's faith was placed in the one who made the promise that he was El Shaddai, Almighty God. He was the one who, when he speaks, his words always come to pass. His promises, no matter how improbable, do not fail. Abraham is declared righteous because of his faith in God. It's the best known verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever keeps the law should not perish but have eternal life. No, you know that's not what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Righteousness, eternal life, and God's blessing are found on the narrow road of faith. Believing in God. Look at the alternative. You find it there in verse 10. Paul says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. To pursue the law, a person must keep all of the law all of the time. You must, again, verse 10, abide by all things written in the book of law. Or else you're cursed, says Paul. James, in James 2 verse 10, says this. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. As you look around you in this world, so many people are living, believing that as long as they do more good works than bad, God will not turn them away when they finally have to face him at the end of their life. 
But the pass mark is not 51%. No, it is always 100%. Imagine, imagine you're in a cable car that's traveling over a great ravine and the cable car is suspended by a chain. How many links of the chain have to feel before the cable car comes crashing down? You know the answer. Just one. If the chain breaks at one point, it breaks completely. And you and anyone else in that car will die. That's Paul's point here. If you break the law of God at any point, at any time, just once, one law broken, you will die. Pursuing a right relationship with God through the law is to journey on a well-traveled broad road, but one that comes to a dead end. So this is the choice that, that Paul places before his reader. It's either trusting the improbable promise or in the unfulfillable law. Now someone will ask, but the law is part of God's word. Doesn't the psalmist say of God's law in Psalm 119 and verse 105 that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? Should we not try to live our lives according to the law? Well, hopefully we're going to learn more about this in the weeks that lie ahead. But, but let me answer that question briefly. If pursuing righteousness by keeping the law leads to death, what then is the benefit of the law to the believer? Well, the law is a little bit like the fuel gauge of a car. It's an outward indicator of an unseen internal problem. When that fuel gauge starts to, the little indicator starts to creep towards E for empty, you don't try to change the gauge and, and push the indicator back towards the F for full. That, that's not going to help. No, you get yourself to the petrol station, you refill your tank. You, you fill your vehicle with the only thing that can make it go. And when you realize that you're living contrary to God's law, you don't try harder to be good and keep the law. To do so is to be like that rich young ruler who had fooled himself into thinking that he had kept all these things since he was a young man. When in truth, his heart was still held captive by greed. Rather, the law indicates that something is wrong internally. So you have to run to Jesus that he would once again fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit. And that this would be the source of your right living. Your moment by moment dependence upon Jesus. The gospel that brings us to life is the same gospel by which we must live. Or to use another uh, illustration, another picture. The difference between law and gospel is, is something that might be experienced by a young man in a relationship with his father. So when life is lived, governed by the law, the young man said, I've messed up, my dad is going to kill me. But when his life is governed by the gospel, the young man says, I've messed up, I must go to my dad to have him sort this out for me. 
Let's move on from thinking about righteousness to thinking about redemption. Galatians 3 and verse 13 says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. It spells out gospel truth, that the only one who ever lived the perfect life, the only one who ever kept all the law all the time, and so did not deserve the punishment of death, gave himself up to death in order that we, who rightly deserve the curse and death, might live. Again, we, we thought about this last Sunday, that this death was vicarious. It was substitutionary. It was for us, for you, for me. As we'll sing in a few moments time. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. In, in the book of Exodus, the 21st chapter and specifically verses 28 to 30. Exodus 21, 28 to 30. We discover that among all the laws that were written. There was the possibility for those who had committed a crime that was punishable by death, that they could be redeemed, that they could be delivered from their death sentence. If, if an agreed price could be struck with the one against whom they had sinned. So verse 30, Exodus 21 says this, if a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. Sin is serious, so serious, that sinners can only be redeemed from death, this death sentence upon us, by a sinless sacrifice. Our sin caused the blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus given for us upon the cross to pay the price that we owed. The ransom required. And Jesus knew exactly why he had come into this world. In Mark 10 and verse 45 he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came willingly to die for your sins to purchase your redemption. He took the curse of sin so that you might possess the blessing of righteousness. He laid down his life so that you might receive the power to live through the promised Holy Spirit. You need the Spirit of Jesus in you, living the life of Jesus through you. And that changes everything. The great reformer Martin Luther said this. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Can you say with Martin Luther, 
I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. Do you know Jesus as your Redeemer? Has his perfect righteousness been credited to your account? The end of his life, Moses set this stark choice before the Israelites. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, we began our service with these words. He said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Choose life, the narrow road. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will have the gift of life that lasts forever. This fullness of life that cannot be taken from you. The power to truly live in a way that glorifies God as his spirit dwells within you. May that be your gift of righteousness now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, we are desperately in need. Without you, we have nothing and are nothing. We cannot live well. We cannot obey your law. We cannot honour you with our lives. But Lord, if we come to you, empty hands, broken hearts, we know that you will make us new. You will fill us with your spirit. You will guide us and guard us in the way, the way that leads to life, the narrow path. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel that tells us that sinners such as we can know redemption. You've paid the price. You've given the gift of Jesus Christ. He has laid down his life and risen again that we who hope in him might live forever with him. May that be our hope and our confidence in this and every day until we see him face to face. We pray in his precious name. Amen.